Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for October 12th, 2017. This is Peter Serretta, and on today's show, we're going to be talking about Top Gun 2, Ridley Scott's Alien Covenant sequel, how Thor Ragnarok will be the first of a planned Hulk trilogy arc, uh, Creed 2 gets a surprising director, Disney makes it easier for you to watch other studios' movies digitally, and how Disney and Lucasfilm decide Star Wars spoilers. Uh, and the Disney animated film Gigantic has been canceled. Uh, we'll tell you about that. At the water cooler, I'll be talking about a strolling magic showdown and what that is. And in the spoiler room, we'll be talking about the ending of Blade Runner 2049. That'll be at the end of the show, so don't worry about spoilers. You can check out when we hit that segment. Uh, joining me on today's show are Slash Home writers Ben Pearson. Hey, what's up? And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Uh, guys, before we get started, we have a, a couple housekeeping notes. Um, some of you may have noticed there was no official episode yesterday, and that was because we published an emergency podcast analyzing the new Star Wars trailer, and uh, there just wasn't enough, enough news going on, so we counted that as yesterday's episode. Um, 
tomorrow I'm going to be away on a set visit, which I cannot talk about. Um, so there's not going to be an episode tomorrow, but there'll be an episode on Friday morning instead of Thursday afternoon, if that makes sense. Uh, probably the worst decision about starting this podcast is calling it Slash Home Daily because it <laughs> makes us have to produce a show every single weekday. Um and uh, we're still planning on doing that, but sometimes schedules uh, can can be very tough. I mean, I'm going to be on a set visit. Ben's going to be in the air tomorrow. It's 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 a it's it's a cluster of a day tomorrow. So yeah. Uh, anyways, let's get to today's show because we have a ton of stuff to get to, and I I imagine that we're going to go over our time limit because there's a lot of news. But before we get to the news, let's come over to the water cooler. There's something I wanted to tell you guys about. Uh, last night I went to the Magic Castle and a couple times a year they have this thing called um, the Strolling Magic Showdown and it's this competition it's held only for members and their guests uh, it's um basically if you are a member of the Magic Castle a magician member you can compete in it I did not compete I wanted to check it out and see what it was like um, I was a judge if you're a member if you're a magician member you can be a judge uh, and basically you sit at a table with other people and other judges and there's you know I think there was 60 or 70 judges uh, in this big room that they have at the magic castle and basically the magicians there was like about 30 magicians they go table to table uh, table hopping showing magic tricks and basically at the end of the night, Every judge picks, you know, their top three favorite magicians, and those guys get, uh, you know, some prizes, some recognition, a uh, name on a trophy that's on display in the Magic Castle, and uh, pins that they can wear around the castle that are bragging rights. Uh, I mean, n- not a not a lot of, uh, not like you know, a million dollars at the end of the rainbow, but um, but it's just fun. It's a lot of. Uh, it's not. The people that are paid to perform in the Magic Castle, it's a lot of members who, you know, do magic as a hobby. And we saw, I think, 21 magicians in the course of ninety this 90 minutes. Um, so we missed about nine of them or eight of them, something like that. Um, one of the magicians, after doing his act, uh, was cleaning up his stuff. And he said, by the way, big, big fan of the podcast, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. Um but I got to see some amazing stuff. Uh, I would talk about it more, but we got so much news. Um, it's just uh, it would be a shame to 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 take up the time on this water cooler. So let's just get into the news. Uh, we've gotten some details on a couple sequels that are in development. Uh, some surprising details about Top Gun Two and Alien Covenant's sequel. Ben, you wrote the story for SlashFilm.com. What do we know? Yes. Uh, Tony Scott, the director of the original Top Gun, was originally going to direct Top Gun 2, but unfortunately he died in 2012. So that project has been sort of in limbo ever since then. Uh, When he was still attached to direct the movie, he hinted at the idea that Top Gun 2 would involve drones in some way. Maybe uh, Tom Cruise's Maverick either flying drones or fighting against them or something. So drones has been a big – the idea of drones have been uh, sort of a big part of the conversation around Top Gun 2 in the intervening five or six years. So – Um, The project has been rewritten a bunch of times, and Joseph Kaczynski, the guy who directed Tom Cruise in the movie Oblivion, is going to be directing Top Gun 2, and he uh, is out promoting a new movie now. Somebody asked him on the interview circuit about Top Gun 2 and sort of what he thought about 
this drone concept and if he still planned on including it in the movie. And he said, quote, personally, I would never want to see a movie about drones. For me, Top Gun has always been not about fighter planes. It's been about fighter pilots. So that sounds to me like the idea of drones after years and years of, you know, being attached with, uh, you know, sort of linked with this concept of Top Gun 2 has now been uh, kicked to the sidelines. Um, Cruz himself has talked a lot about how they, they are looking to sort of recapture the same vein, the same tone as the original. It's going to be like a competition film, much like the first one was. So... Uh, this sounds like good news for people who were maybe not thrilled at the idea of seeing Cruz, uh, you know, pilot a, a drone from a control room somewhere. It sounds like he's actually going to be up in the air and, and you know, front and center in the action on this. I, I still think that drones are going to be a part of this. It's, you know, so much uh, a what is going on in today's world. I think it's going to be that these Top Gun guys are kind of being phased out and drones have kind of taken over and I, I'm betting that there's going to be something you know drones are outlawed or drones can't be used on specific missions in specific country whatever and they're gonna to have to bring these guys back and you know him maybe mentoring a young fighter pilot that that's what I'm betting but who knows yeah, yeah. And then uh, also um, Ridley Scott is directing a follow-up to Alien Covenant. Uh, who knows how many Alien movies he's going to make when all is said and done, but he is talking about the next movie. And when somebody asked him about what his approach was going to be for that next film, which is still untitled at this point, he said, quote, I think the evolution of the alien himself is nearly over, but what I was trying to do was transcend and move to another story, which would be taken over by the AIs. The world that the AI might create as a leader if he finds himself on a new planet. We have actually quite a big layout for the next one. So that's his latest update on where he's thinking about taking the Alien franchise. If you have seen Prometheus or Alien Covenant, this probably isn't that much of a surprise considering how much Scott really loves the characters of David and Walter, who were played by Michael Fassbender in those movies. And he seems far more interested in their uh, mentality and the exploration of them as characters and their relationship with humanity than he does about any of the human characters in those recent alien films. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not too surprising, but it's definitely interesting that a movie with the alien name on it is probably not going to feature that many more iterations of the physical alien itself. See, this is so disappointing to me. Because, you know, I go to an Alien movie for Aliens. Uh, the last Alien movie, Alien Covenant, I was highly disappointed in because, you know, of who the bad guy is in that movie. And, you know, once they got to the Aliens, it was fun for me. That, that last half an hour is a lot of fun. But I feel like the middle portion of that movie, because it's kind of that swerve towards what Ridley Scott wants to do and not what the franchise is didn't right. work for me uh, what do you guys think chris how about you well uh so i really liked um alien covenant i'm one of the few people who liked it i know a lot of people did not care for it uh i do agree that it is a little deceptive to sort of shoehorn this plot into an alien film but at the same time i really kind of like the whole the david plot i, I really like the way michael fassbender plays that character and I kind of agree with Ridley Scott that there's really not that much even left to do with the aliens at this point. Or you're just going to keep being 
sort of derivative if you keep sort of just retelling the same story over and over again. So I, I don't know. I personally kind of like the idea, but I can also see people just being annoyed that he basically used it's, it's sort of like a, a backdoor pilot. He just used the alien franchise to launch this whole new thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean it seems like something that it's definitely something Scott is interested in and the idea of humans meeting their creators or, 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 uh, you know, technology meeting its creators even, um, is a theme that's run throughout his entire body of work really. So anything where he can sort of laser focus in on that sounds like something that he is going to gravitate towards. And it sounds like this is, you know, this has become his pet franchise where he can explore those ideas in a more full, you know, like a sort of a deeper way than he has been able to in any other uh, movies that he's worked on so far. The, the weird thing is I'm not against him exploring other things. You know, I liked the David character in the first movie. I liked um I liked Prometheus as a whole. I'm 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 an outlier on that. I love the mystery and them going towards, you know, what you're talking about, a uh, man meeting his creator and it seemed like they kind of abandoned that in this film a bit uh, with, you know, like one whole flashback sequence. Um, I don't know. I wanted to see them go, go more in that direction, but uh, we'll, we'll have to see. We'll have to see where this, where this goes. Uh, one thing that we're not going to see is a Hulk movie. As you know, Universal owns the rights to the Hulk movies. Uh, Marvel Studios has the rights to have Hulk in their films, uh, but that's not going to stop them from doing a three-part story arc in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Chris, you wrote this up for SlashFilm.com. What do we know? Right. So uh, Mark Ruffalo, he was saying, basically, Kevin Feige pulled him aside and said, if we were going to do a Hulk standalone movie, which, as you just said, they can't do, but if we were going to do it, what would you like to be in the Hulk standalone movie? And Mark Ruffalo basically laid out a bunch of ideas. He doesn't say what those ideas are, but he laid out a bunch of ideas and the idea became basically to put those standalone Hulk ideas into the next few Marvel films. So the, uh, uh, Thor Ragnarok is going to be the first part of a uh, basically three-story arc for the Hulk, starting with there and continuing on into uh, Avengers in, uh, Infinity War. Um, where where can we see this going? Do you have any idea of like what this arc is? I mean, it's the, the details are very vague, and I, I haven't seen Ragnarok yet, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know what they're hinting at, but Mark Ruffalo does say it ties into the fact that the Hulk talks now, basically. Like in, you know, in the previous Marvel films, the Hulk didn't really have much to say, you know, other than like one or two words. But as the trailers for Ragnarok show, he's actually having, you know, full conversations here. And he says that actually sort of ties into the whole arc thing about building the character up, separating the character from uh, the way it's been, the character's been presented in the past. So that's sort of like a hint. It's not much of a hint, but that's that's uh, <laughs> what Mark Ruffalo said. Yeah, I have seen Ragnarok. I'm not going to uh, reveal anything that hasn't been revealed, but it has already been said that um, Hulk, since we last saw him, since he went into space, uh, uh, he hasn't been Bruce Banner since then. So it's been what, a couple years of Hulk being the Hulk and not being Bruce Banner. It's the opposite of what has happened where it's been mostly Bruce Banner and, you know, him turning into the metaphorical werewolf at night. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, so I think that's going to have some play in it. Uh, 
It'll, it'll be interesting to see what they do because uh, he's talking about obviously the Infinity War, the two Infinity War films as the other two parts of this arc, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Uh, also, news came uh, two days ago, right, right around the time that the Star Wars trailer dropped, and that was that Creed Two now has a director, and that director's name is not Ryan Coogler. I am so uh, torn about this because the director who is going to helm this Creed sequel is Sylvester Stallone. Uh, you know, he's not a stranger to directing. He's he's proven himself directing Rocky films. Uh, he directed Rocky 2, 3, 4. Uh, I believe, you know, he kind of got criticized for those. He found his redemption with Rocky Balboa. Uh, I don't know. I the, the reason why I liked Creed so much was because of what Ryan Coogler brought to it. Um, he announced on Instagram that that Michael B. Jordan is going to return for Creed 2, which he's going to direct. Uh, we do know that uh, he's been teasing that uh, we will see the return of Dolph Lundgren's character, Ivan Drago, and possibly, like, you know, someone related to him. Uh, that's all we know about the story. What, what do you guys think? Is... is now that Ryan Coogler is not attached to direct this film, do you, are you interested any less than you were previously? Man, it's weird because I love Creed and I think Coogler was the perfect guy to bring that story to life and sort of uh, pivot that franchise in such a fascinating way. But I feel like if Coogler can't do it, which it seems like he can't, and whether that's because he's going to be directing another Black Panther movie or he can't, you know, get away from like, production on this new movie has to begin during the time that he's doing press for Black Panther, whatever the reason is. Uh, I feel like Stallone is the second best person that I would want to direct it. You know, he he has the most experience with this franchise, um, you know, more than anyone. He started the whole damn thing. So, it, it, you know, it, and and looking at the list of movies that he's directed, he's directed far more Rocky movies than any other movies that he's done. And he definitely has a handle on what this franchise is and what it can be. I hope that he's learned the lessons that everyone else has taken away from Creed, which is uh, Stallone at this point is much better at, in a supporting capacity. And this franchise should belong to Michael J Michael B. Jordan at this point. So as long as he doesn't try to, you know, overextend his his reach as Rocky, uh, I think he understands the legacy of this character and that it means a lot of it means a lot to a lot of people. But I, I think he also knows that it's also a whole new story for a whole new generation. So you, I'm I'm, you know, cautiously optimistic. You think he could shoehorn himself as Rocky in like flashbacks? That's what you're suggesting? Well, I mean, it, it's possible. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Chris, any thoughts on this? I mean, yeah, I, I loved Creed. I thought, you know, and I thought one of the reasons Creed worked so well is because it wasn't a Rocky story. You know, even though Rocky is a big part of that movie, it was, you know, Michael B. Jordan's character's story. And Ryan Coogler just found a way to basically inject a whole new life into that franchise and you know i like stallone i i like uh rocky balboa i think that's one of the best films in that franchise i do worry that his ego will get the better of him and he'll try and make it more of a like a, a more of a rocky sequel than a creed sequel and I, I do worry that that might might happen i i hope it doesn't i hope he knows better than that but i also feel like 
as much as I like Stallone, he's also he's always seemed like an actor who has this sort of ego where he's not really <laughs> able to understand that he needs to sort of step aside and let someone else take the reins. I mean, I even during I remember reading stories during the making of Creed, he kept trying to sort of influence it more than was initially intended. So but who knows? I mean, it might work out. By the way, I remember during production of Creed, he Instagrammed a photo of the script on like a table and it was on its last page and people zoomed into it and saw the uh, the spoiler of, 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 of the ending of that last movie. So <laughs> he, he's not the, the, the smartest with social media as well. No. <laughs> um, uh, moving on. Uh, Disney Movies Anywhere is a service that lets you, when you buy a physical movie, you can unlock it on uh, your computer, on your iPad, on your uh, Apple TV, on your Amazon account. It goes across a bunch of different services. It, it, it's it's better than these just digital copies that just unlock it on one service. It unlocks it on all of them. And we have learned that basically they are going to allow other studios to use that technology so disney is going to be allowing other studios to uh to be able to for you to be able to unlock movies digitally across all your platforms ben you wrote this for slashfilm.com what do we know so bloomberg released this report that uh said that 20th century fox universal pictures and warner brothers have come on board for a newly branded movies anywhere app or website or probably a combination of both because that's currently what disney movies in anywhere is it's an app and a, a site that you can visit uh and yeah it's basically all of these studios are are coming together uh, Lionsgate is apparently interested. Sony, uh, there's no word yet on their involvement, but I've heard some stuff that they might be interested as well. Uh, Paramount might end up joining later, but they're currently sort of out in the cold because of financial disagreements over their involvement in the whole thing. But um, yeah, I guess there was a, a rivalry between Disney's Disney Movies Anywhere app, which launched in 2014, and Ultraviolet, which was the sort of rival platform that was backed by a lot of the other studios. And uh, Peter, you were telling me that Disney seemed to really get the tech right uh, when it comes to Disney movies anywhere. They, they really, um, you know, sort of cracked the code and found a way to make it super easy and intuitive and just like a, a good user experience. Whereas ultraviolet was largely despised from, you know, by consumers. And I, I've heard so many complaints about, that service i've never really used it myself but i have I would, only heard bad things basically about ultraviolet i would actually pick up a blu-ray in the store and not buy it because i see that the digital copy was ultraviolet that's how wow. much i hated ultraviolet <laughs> because once you unlock your movie in ultraviolet i've heard it's gotten better in recent years but uh there's only certain apps you can use to watch it and they're kind of clunky and don't work well and uh the thing i love about Disney movies anywhere is, you know, it basically when I when I buy a movie on iTunes, it I can watch it on Amazon. I can watch it on, uh, you know, all the different services. I can download it onto my iPad like it's not uh, it's not locked into one place. And also Disney movies anywhere. I'm not sure if the other studios are going to do this, but um, as you buy and unlock movies, you get these points, these reward points that you can basically which I haven't used, but sometimes they'll have like kind of swag like you can get a hat or like a poster or like you know limited edition poster or whatever and you can use those points to kind of uh get those things sent to you um 
Yeah. So it, it, it's kind of cool. Chris, have you had any experience with Disney movies anywhere or ultraviolet? Uh, I'm, I'm sort of old school and I prefer the physical media, but uh, I recently tried to use ultraviolet for uh, the Close Encounters of the Third Kind Blu-ray and I could not get it to work to save my life. And so I said, this this is why I, I, I'm going to stick with physical media. Uh, so I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a, the most uh, up to date on th- that sort of stuff. So that's me, though. I know now, some people love the, the, the streaming versions. Now, I know both Ben and you are in of that same mindset. I would... Um... I would say, guys, there's expiration dates on these digital codes. At least, at very least, go to the website and unlock them to your account. Or if you aren't, there's actually a lot of websites out there that you can actually go and sell your digital codes, and people will buy those digital codes for like five, six dollars. Yeah, I should start so, doing that because yeah, they just, they just yeah. basically sit, so I don't use them. Yeah, yeah but you should if you, if you're not going to sell them, you should unlock them because I think the future, as much as you guys are fighting against it is going to be digital <laughs> and then one day you're going to want to have you're not going to want to have to buy those movies again um i mean i'm assuming you probably will have to because there's going to be something that comes out after 4k that's going to be amazing and they're not going to give right. it to us for free but but just uh, why not it takes five seconds <laughs> that, that's yeah. my public service message about that's a that. good point uh, yeah um moving on uh we've been talking a lot about spoilers uh, actually, we've gotten a lot of emails from you about your reaction to our spoiler discussion, especially around Star Wars. We're going to try to get to that in a mailbag segment in the future, but uh, we're, we just don't have the time to do it on this t- today's episode. But uh, around that, uh, it's recently been revealed how Disney actually decides what they consider to be a Star Wars spoiler and what is not, and how they protect us from these spoilers. Chris, you wrote the article. How, what do we know? Right. So Ryan Johnson gave a, a pretty in-depth interview with Yahoo, or as, at least as in-depth as it can be without giving too much away. And he was basically just talking about how he and his producer sat down with Lucasfilm and they basically went over exactly just what they were going to reveal you know, in trailers and marketing and what they would not reveal, what they would just keep secret. And they call it the uh, the no-fly list of just things that under no circumstances will be revealed in any sort of way. And uh, he's just talking about how it was just a fascinating process because, you know, it's just something that for years he had heard about. And now he was actually on the inside working, you know, on that sort of that uh, spoilery details. See, this is refreshing to me to know that a filmmaker is involved in this process of the marketing and that they are, you know, sitting down and deciding what is too spoiler. What what do we keep out of the marketing? What do we keep out of the toys? What do we not show until the movie is coming out on you know, Blu-ray and DVD uh, to protect the audiences? Uh, I think it's probably something J.J. Abrams did. Uh, ben, what, what do you think about this? I love it. I mean, as somebody who is sort of uh, averse to spoilers in general um, and tries to go out of my way to avoid, uh, you know, a lot of the TV spots and stuff that I feel is like a little bit excessive when it comes to, when you know, the, the marketing campaign ramps up right as it gets, you know, the movie gets really, really close. I'm glad that Johnson and, and his producer have sat down and said, all right, there are some things that, uh, you know, are definitely going to be 
uh, in theater reveals. And there's no way that any of this stuff is going to be able to leak beforehand, um, barring, you know, somebody from the inside of Disney leaking it and probably getting fired and sued and all of that crap. So, uh, yeah, it's, you know, I love hearing that there are definitely going to be surprises uh, even for people who obsessively watch all the trailers. And I know you guys are sort of more in that uh, in that vein than I am. But um, so, yeah, I'm glad for me and I'm glad for you, too. I'm glad that even the people who go frame by frame through all the footage, which we tend to do on the site, um, there's still going to be stuff for us that uh, that we won't know about. Yeah. The, the other day we spent 40 minutes dissecting the trailer on an emergency podcast. And... Um, you know, at the end of it, I kind of realized that they didn't really show us much. It's a lot of character moments. It doesn't show us any story. I think a lot of this is showing us stuff on Crate, which I think is very early in the film. I could be wrong. Um, I, I don't think we're we're getting a big glimpse into the, the overall story of this film. And that's actually kind of refreshing. Uh, it's kind of, I feel like, what uh, they do with TV. Like, and next week on TV, you know, you're not getting story. You're getting character moments, mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, and it, it, it's still good because I, I, I think, uh, and I've said, th- said this on the emergency podcast, I think if you watch the Star Wars trailer, I think it's edited a little bit deceptively to, even if you are taking it, you know, as it's being presented, I, I, I don't think things are going to be happening in that way that we're seeing <laughs> it, if that makes any sense. But if you listen to my 40 minute uh, podcast with Brad, then you know what I'm talking about. Um, yes. Uh, moving on. Uh, Disney Animation has canceled production of their animated film, Gigantic. Uh, this happens from time to time in animation, but not that often. Usually things get retooled. Gigantic's one of these productions. It started out as as uh, a movie called Giants, and it, it's Disney's take on jack in the beanstalk um and basically it's where jack befriends uh the giant who is like this 12 year old giant um we learned about about it i think two d23s ago so that's like four years three years something like that um it was announced in 2015 officially and uh even though it had been in develop since 2013 and um it seems like they just couldn't get it to work. They, it, it, I know it was retooled. They brought in Inside Out uh, writer uh, Meg Lafur. Lafur, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, uh, so I apologize. Um, and uh, I know that some of the people that were responsible for Moana, like uh, the writer uh, Jared Bush, I think is his name, was brought on to this project, and they were trying to make it work. Uh, Walt Disney Animation Group president Ed Catmull uh, issued a statement to the Hollywood Reporter saying, it's impossible to know when we begin a project how the creative process will unfold. And sometimes no matter how much we love an idea or how much heart goes into it, we find that it just isn't working. With Gigantic, we've come to that point. And although it's a difficult decision, we are ending active development for now. We are focusing our energies on another project that will be that has been in the works, uh, which we'll be sharing uh, more about soon, now set for Thanksgiving 2020. Um, we don't know anything about the project. I will uh, tell you that Byron Howard, the co-director of Zootopia, 
uh, just started following me on Twitter minutes after this announcement. So is that related? Could he be the one that's directing this mystery project? Perhaps. Um, uh, he says active development for now. Uh, I, You know, Disney has when Disney has canceled projects like this, it's rare that they've, you know, gone back into the vault and, you know, found a new take on them. That has happened. Uh, Disney was working on a project called the snow queen, which many years later they went back into the vault and retooled as a film called frozen, which everybody loved. Uh, I got to see some, uh, early, I think animatics or storyboards footage from gigantic at D 23. Uh, and they, they, I think they even played a song, uh, from the composers of uh, Frozen, and it wasn't very good. Uh, I could tell right then that I was not impressed. Uh, so, I don't know. I'm not sure how to feel about this. W- were either of you excited about Gigantic? Is this uh, is this bad news for you? Chris, what do you think? Uh, I had never heard of the project until I saw it got canceled. <laughs> so, I'm not, I'm not too broken up over it. I am a little surprised just because I can't remember the last time I remember a Disney project like this being canceled. Like off the top of my head, I can't remember anything. I, I remember a lot of things being retooled, like the last dinosaur, the the Pixar film got heavy retooling. I remember that, but for them to just outright cancel it is, does seem like kind of a, a big deal. I don't remember that happening that often. Wasn't there one about a gecko, a Pixar project yeah. about a gecko that got scrapped? Yeah, that was a Pixar project that was called Newt. Uh, there's also another project recently called uh, a, a, The King of Elves, which is based on, I think, a, a fairy tale or a short story. And that was canceled by Disney Animation, I think, seven or eight years ago. But, uh, you know, I actually thought there wasn't that many projects canceled. But if you search, if you do, do a Google search for, pro, uh, you know, animated projects canceled by Disney, there's a long legacy of this. Uh, there's a long wow. uh, legacy of, of this happening throughout the decades uh but it doesn't happen that often it's you know every i want to say five six years seven years uh i mean for me it's 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 refreshing that they would just decide to do that instead of just pushing forward because you know it has to be easier for them they put enough money into this it had to be easier to just put out a crappy movie right instead of uh admitting that they didn't have it um and i feel like it would be so much easier for them to just finish development, go forward down this road that they've already gone, you know, halfway down or more and just put out a movie that they didn't believe in because they know that it's a Disney animated movie and it would make money. So I'm actually sort of like, okay, well, you know, good move, Disney. Like I'm, I'm like applaud their decision to actually do the, uh, you know, the creatively, um, uh, correct move and, and just abandon something when they know for a fact that the story isn't working. Yeah. This film was originally, going to come out in 2018 it was bumped back to 2020 so that shows how far along in development they were you know this idea was something that was pitched in 2013 uh so it's been in development for what is that four years four and a half yeah. years uh that's quite some time usually a film usually an animated film takes five years from pitch to you know final cut or at least from what I've heard, these computer animated films. Uh, so you're, you're right. They were far down in development. I don't think they were in the animation process. They were still in, like, you know, the storyboarding animatics kind of phase, I think. Uh, but, yeah, it, it is good to see that them willing to – I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm betting they spent many millions of dollars on this yeah. project. And it's, it's being abandoned 
because of uh you know artistic integrity yeah and yeah and actually i'm 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 seeing i'm not sure what you guys think of this but i'm 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 actually more excited these days i used to be a pixar fanatic and i'm more excited these days for what walt disney animation has been producing than what pixar has been producing it almost seems like john laster kind of you know I know he's still at both studios, but it seems like he's been putting his effort into Walt Disney Animation more and making that uh, back to the prestige that it once was. Uh, so, you know, a move like this is, is you know, commendable. Very commendable. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's get to Blade Runner 2049. We're going to step into the spoiler room. If you have not seen Blade Runner 2049... Uh, turn back now, turn off the podcast, uh, don't continue any further because we're going to be talking spoilers in the spoiler room. Uh, Chris, you wrote the story up for SlashFilm.com basically about the Blade Runner 2049 ending. Uh, the screenwriters revealed secrets of that memorable final scene, including alternate uh, takes. Uh, what do we know? Right. So uh, there were two writers in the film. There was uh, Hampton Fancher who also co-wrote the original Blade Runner. And then, so he wrote a draft and then Michael Green came in and, and basically rewrote his draft. And the ending of the film as it is now was not in uh, Hampton Fancher's draft. draft. Uh, Michael Green is the one who basically added that. And uh, so, yeah, they, they, you know, they went over several ways to do it. Some of the ways had dialogue in it. Well, and some uh, of the scenes. Before we get into that, let's talk about what, what is the ending of Blade Runner 2049? Oh. Okay, so I mean, so, uh, I'm not sure if we're going to be telling people that I have not seen the film. I'm not sure the point. Right. Well, yeah, let's just talk, say what the ending is, anyways. Okay, uh, so, you want me to do yeah, it? Or? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay. go for it. All right, so basically, uh, the whole movie it's based around um, Sean Young's character from the first film had a child, and you know that's it's, it's a miracle child, like a, a replicant, aka a robot, had a baby. And uh, Deckard, Harrison Ford's character, is the father. And the whole movie is basically uh, Ryan Gosling trying to find both the child and also Deckard. And for a period, Ryan Gosling thinks he is the child. But basically, the, ch- the child has been um, – it's this, this scientist who's been basically sequestered in this chamber for like 30 years because she's been led to believe she has this immune disease that keeps her from being in the outside world. And so at the very end of the movie, after everything has happened, Ryan Gosling brings uh, Harrison Ford's character to finally see his daughter. And he hasn't seen her, you know, in 30 years, basically. And uh, it's this really uh, emotional moment. It got to me a lot where basically Harrison Ford goes into the room where she's in and she has her back to him and he puts his hand on the glass and it's all done pretty much silently. And the way uh, Harrison Ford sells that scene is I think like the best acting of Harrison Ford's career. And it's this, this, this completely silent moment. And it's just this look he gives. That's just surprisingly emotional for, especially for a film like this, which isn't exactly, you know, an overly emotional film. And the first film isn't either. It's a very cold analytical sort of film. So that's the way it basically ends. Um, personally, I think it's a pretty clear cut ending, but Apparently, I'm wrong, and people <laughs> are reading a lot into it. And part of the story that I wrote up was that uh, Mark Millar has this whole theory about how the whole film is sort of a, a fake memory 
that's been implanted into Deckard's head because he's operating under the assumption that Deckard is also a replicant, which th- this film doesn't say one way or the other, whether it's true. And so, yeah, that's basically his concept that Deckard has been, I guess, imagining the whole movie, which. And you hate this theory. Oh, I, I loathe it. I, <laughs> I, to me, this is literally the equivalent of, you know, the, the cliched, it was all a dream ending, which I don't know why anyone would like that because to me that robs the entire film of any like weight it had. So like if the whole movie didn't happen, then nothing matters. Like why, why would I want to even watch a movie like that where nothing matters? I mean, every once in a while you can get away with it. Like, you know, the usual suspects where the whole story was made up, so to speak. But for that to be in this film, I don't think it works at all. And one of the reasons Mark Millar gives is Ryan Gosling's character. He's originally called K and then he changes his name to Joe. And Millar's thing is like, Oh, Joe and K make joke, which I I think is really stupid. <laughs> I think <laughs> I honestly think if, if and it doesn't fit with the tone of the movie at all, the, the movie is very, very serious. So if, if they're really trying to, Say, oh, his character name means joke. Uh, I don't, I don't buy it. So that's again, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna take away from anyone who wants to believe that. If you want to have your own theories, that's fine. But personally, see, I, I, I love theories that make you reconceptualize a movie, but this one doesn't seem to have any merit. It just does. It just seems so ridiculous to me. It doesn't seem. I don't know. It's just so uh, the evidence for it is so thin, so very thin. Uh, yeah, I think I think Chris is right. It, it completely undercuts Ryan Gosling's entire arc, which like he has, and, you know, the movie uh, sort of shifts to Deckard's perspective in the back, you know, the back half, the back 40 minutes or whatever. But uh, Gosling's character goes on a journey that is relevant and interesting and compelling all his own. And for him to be. Uh, just a a, a made-up cog in this wheel just to get Deckard to that place doesn't really make much sense, nor does the fact that this woman, the daughter who's been in this room, constructs all of these elaborate memories of Gosling's character's life that Deckard doesn't see, but we, the audience, do see throughout the whole film. It just it, it seems, like, nonsensical to me. And I do want to say that the ending of this movie is kind of what I thought the force awakens was going to be uh before going into it to see it i thought you know ray was going to end up believing that she was the son i mean the daughter of either luke or han and that you know in that movie or the next movie and and this could still be it it could still she becomes you know obsessed with the idea that she is related to them in some way and and finds out that that is not the case um not to bring everything back to Star Wars, guys, but um, <laughs> but I don't know. I, that, that was just in my head uh, before going to Force Awakens, and that turned out not to be the case, at least thus far. Um, so, what what are the alternate versions of of this ending? Right. So, there's not a lot of detail about the alternate. Um, Michael Green says there is basically maybe one more extra shot in there w- between Deckard and his daughter. And there was maybe a few more lines added to basically flesh out the scene. But uh, he says, and I agree with the way it turns out, 
you know, works much better where, you know, it's minimal dialogue is, you know, it, the scene basically speaks for itself, or at least I thought it did, but you know, <laughs> apparently not. Maybe they should have added a few more lines because then you wouldn't have, you know, these theories that are reading, uh, much too much into the ending than I think they should be. By the way, I, I wanted to ask you guys, because, uh, it seemed clear to me who, uh, Decker's, um, offspring was earlier in the film, like, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes before that, uh, that ending, what was that revealed to you at that very last scene? Or was it in that flashback scene previously? Because, uh, one of the people I saw the movie with, uh, they, they didn't realize it until the end, that last scene of the movie. Does that make sense? Oh, I, th- I think, I think it's revealed sort of, uh, a little earlier than the point where he physically like walks up the stairs and into the room. I think, you know, as the audience that this is actually his daughter, right? I... There's a part where uh, Ryan Gosling has this sort of flashback to the scene and he remembers the, and he says all the best memories are hers. And that sort of is the big giveaway that, Oh, this memory is hers and that she's the daughter. But yeah, I, I did get it before that last that last scene, definitely. Yeah, it it was just interesting because my friend uh, had a totally different experience of that last scene because that was the revelation to hit him at that moment. And I almost wonder should they have done that flashback earlier? Um, the, all the greatest memories are hers. Um, would it have been a better payoff to have it pay off in that that last moment? Uh, I think it's good as as it is because you understand the sacrifice that Ryan Gosling's character is making by getting Deckard to that place. And if you you know, if that was uh, a reveal at the very end when he physically walks through the door, you might not even know what uh, Officer K is trying to do, you know, where he's trying to take him. And it seems like by establishing that as his goal, um, you get the satisfaction of watching him achieve that goal. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, I, it was just something I was thinking about because it was just interesting to come out of a movie and have a totally different uh, experience of that last scene than someone else that you watched the movie with, and that, yeah. that doesn't happen that often. I, I the, the more um, the more time that has passed since seeing this movie last week, the more I think about the movie. I'm not sure I. You know, it's not one of my favorite movies of all time. It's not a masterpiece, but it's definitely in my top 10 of this year. And um, I'm just loving, you know, swimming in it, if if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways, that does it for today's edition of Slash Film Daily. Uh, you can find more of my work on SlashFilm.com, all these articles on SlashFilm.com. You can find me on Twitter at SlashFilm. You can find Ben at Ben Pears. You can find Chris what what is your Twitter name? <laughs> I really got to get a better Twitter name. It's it's C Evangelist of four thirteen. It's all one one word. Yes, and uh, you you can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, please subscribe. Go to iTunes. Give us a review, a rating that helps us out quite a bit. Tell your friends and uh, you know keep sending us questions to the mailbag. Peter at slashfilm.com. We I promise we will eventually get to the questions. It's just been a uh, you know a busy time here. And thank you all for listening.